now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. I, I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I don't think anything really happened this week. It's, it's been a slow week. You know, it's been a slow week, guys. <laughs> it's just, you know just talk about global warming and it's, it's fall we're gonna have a fall episode mm-hmm. about that we're just gonna talk about leaves and we are enjoying an Oktoberfest today yeah definitely not about how the fucking country is on fire but either way whatever um hi guys it's barstool politics i'm your host nick mcguire joined as always by dr bill muck from north central college and dr phil barker from keene state college hi guys hey nick hi nick uh, hi, hi, Phil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, before we get started, all the usual fun stuff. If you guys uh, like the podcast, uh, want to see what we're up to, questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, Barstool Politics, P O L, Facebook, uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, Twitter at uh, Barstool Paul, P O L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, just look for Barstool Politics on there. And the podcast uh, you can find on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, SoundCloud, most major podcasting platforms. Well, I really got to get better at this abbreviated one. <laughs> um, yeah, so review us, share us, like us through there. We always appreciate the support. Um, so are we say are we saying anything about our potential event that we're doing uh, or, or not no just, uh, i don't we don't uh, we're not saying that yet all right well stay tuned for maybe an I mean, announcement uh, at some point yeah maybe 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 something exciting something. yeah all right all right Ooh. yeah um good teaser <laughs> <laughs> um we're getting called before congress stay tuned for that um <laughs> Yeah, like we we taped early last week and it was pretty much hours before all of the shit hit the fan kind of at the same time. Um, So we have a lot to go through. We have the whistleblower complaint, uh, the actual transcripts, uh, Rudy just sounding like an absolute batshit lunatic um, who I love dearly uh, and just Trump losing his his goddamn mind. It's going to be so much fun. Bill, can you give us a brief rundown of a a pretty much a year's worth of content that we've had over the past week? Absolutely. As as Nick noted, it's been nonstop impeachment news since we last taped. On Thursday, the House Intelligence Committee released a declassified version of the whistleblower complaint about President Trump's effort to to press the leader of Ukraine to launch an investigation into former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. In the report, the whistleblower also alleges that the White House officials intervened to, quote, lock down all records on the phone call on a special super secret server. Uh, And as we'll get to later, this wasn't the only controversial phone call they locked away on that server. 
This week also saw Trump's defense strategy come into form. It's a strategy that involves a full-throated attack on the whistleblower and little Adam Schiff, as well as super lawyer Rudy Giuliani to spread all variety of conspiracy theory. The strategy also involves nonstop tweeting by the president. <laughs> nonstop. I mean, guy just Bullshit. Is, yes. Phil, the news has come so quickly this week, it's honestly been difficult to keep up on it. Maybe we should start with the release of the whistleblower's report and then go from there. What was your reaction to this week's impeachment developments? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to start with the whistleblower report. I, my my reaction to the to the developments is that this is this is historic, right? This is a huge thing that is happening before our eyes. So it's uh, I, I don't know if I should say that we're lucky to get to see it, but um, uh, you know, this is this is we should recognize the fact that this is this is a, a big deal. Um, and it doesn't seem uh, what what started out not looking good for Trump hasn't gotten any better as the news has has continued to come out. So, yeah, I mean, let's start with the whistleblower complaint. So the whistleblower complaint, I mean, we we had talked, I, I, as I was talking with my students this week, I was trying to remember like what has happened since the last time we've met. And, and it's sort of like that here. There's been so much that it's hard for me to remember you know, Tuesday night when we recorded last time, it feels like decades ago. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, so the, the whistleblower report adds to the story. So we had talked about, you know, last week on the podcast about the the issue or the the, the scandal, the problem of having uh, Donald Trump essentially um, offer well, withhold aid, my military aid to Ukraine uh, in return or because he was requesting uh, Ukraine to um, dig into specifically Biden, but also Biden's son. So that in and of itself is this is a scandal, right? That's 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 a big scandal. That's the the use of the power of, of the office of the presidency for personal gain. I, that was what pushed the Democrats to to go for impeachment. When the whistleblower report comes out, it adds to it. Um, that's where the, the I think the everyone should read it, right? So I, I would, if you're listening to this, I would say go find it. It's eight pages, seven and a half, eight pages long. It's yeah. not long. It's easy to read. Um, and what it does is it lays out that it's not just this phone call. It's a larger series of events that that had led up to this. It was a pattern of behavior regarding Ukraine specifically, um, and the, the freezing of aid, um, the pressure being put on Ukraine to come up with dirt on Biden in return for that. So it expands the, you know, it expands the, the, um, the scandal. Um, it's more than a phone call. It's a months long pattern of behavior. But the bigger part of it, I think, is the fact that the, tr what, what comes up in the whistleblower complaint is what, what you mentioned, which is that they then took the call, the, the, the record of the phone call, the transcript of the phone call, and they moved it into this top secret server, this uh, highly classified server, which my understanding of that is that, um, only like it's, it is so classified. It's the place that stuff goes when, you know, when we're trying to covertly overthrow a government type of type of place, um, there's, you know, a handful of people that have access to it. So there's no reason this did not meet the criteria for putting it there. So it, they put it there because because it hides it away. It keeps, keeps other people from seeing it. So that, that is the, that's a big scandal, right? That is the, that's like scandal number two, because it in some way implies the, the idea that it doesn't imply, well, I guess it does. It implies that they knew that this was problematic, right? And, and it's, I think about, I think about Watergate and how there's the crime, but then there's the cover up, right? And this is the, the cover up yeah. side of it. 
Well, and that was the beautiful, I mean, not beautiful thing, but the interesting thing about the next day, all the lead papers, the Washington Post, the Washington Wall Street Journal, they all led with cover up, right? So, right. Uh, and it was an awareness that those individuals who were party to that call knew something wasn't right. Uh, and we can get into Trump's defense. But yeah, the fact that they're saying we got to put this away, nobody can see this, um, it, it, it to me is revealing of of the the troubling nature of the call. I, I mean, the the bigger part of the story realistically is or the more concrete aspect of this story is is the server angle more mm-hmm. than anything. And while I do think that it's exceptionally problematic that they put this information in there, like you said, this is not the first time or the first instance of them doing this. And I we have no idea what those other transcripts or or uh, pieces of information or documents are that are in that server. They could very well be something similar to this. It could be something benign mm-hmm. that he just sounds like a lunatic that they don't want people to have access for, to. Right. Political reasons, not for necessarily criminal reasons. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. again, we don't know the severity of all of those mm-hmm. things. And we'll go into the transcript and, and whatnot in a second. Please, Phil, go and, ahead. And <laughs> it would be it would be a, a more minor scandal if if that turned out to be true. So, you know, they, there are it has come out since then that there were other phone calls. And we'll come back to that later in the podcast, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Um, yeah. You know, calls with with Saudi Arabia, with Russia that have gone into this server as well. So even if they were all benign and this is the only bad one, it's still a problem because it's not protocol. There are legal, you know, there are legal right. standards for how you classify things and where you put things. And so they're, they're not following through on that. The other part of the scandal that I think is has in some ways driven more of the news over the last few days is the fact uh, or it's who else is implicated in it. So in the, the whistleblower report specifically names Rudy Giuliani numerous times. Um, and it also specifically names Bill Barr. So Bill Barr, the attorney general is, is, you know, named in the whistleblower complaint as being involved in this, um, which that, you know, each of these sort of pieces of information that comes out kind of, you know, it, it, another scandal explodes, right? Because the the Department of Justice was involved in making decisions about how to handle this whistleblower complaint. Bill Barr, the head of the Department of Justice, did not recuse himself from those decisions. So he's named in the whistleblower complaint and is making decisions about how to handle the whistleblower complaint. That that in and of itself should be enough to to lead Bill Barr to be pressured to step down, I think. Um, and and so but there's so much stuff going on that we're not you know, people aren't paying attention to that. The, the uh, Mike Pompeo is also all kinds of caught up in this. So he was it's come out that he was on the phone with the on the call with the Ukrainian president, which he didn't deny, but sort of avoided uh, addressing at first. He's come out today and acknowledged that he was on the phone call. And he also now, because he's caught up in it, is self-interested and is working you know, to prevent State Department employees from cooperating with the inquiry. There's a, there's a lot of people that are going to get caught up in this and push back. And that's it's it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, I think about all three of those individuals. You're right. Pompeo came out today and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was on the call. But this weekend, you're right, Phil. He had done one of the Sunday morning talk shows and was asked a question about this and kind of made it seem that the report was the first time he'd heard about it. And you're right. He didn't he didn't lie, but he didn't he did certainly didn't come out and say, oh, yeah, I was on that phone call, which, again, suggests that nobody really wants to be associated with this. The, the fact that the whistleblower report repeatedly mentions Rudy Giuliani and Trump saying, I'll get Rudy involved. I'll get Rudy involved. It's, it's just a disaster, mm-hmm. not only for Rudy, but also for Trump. Bill Barr, I'm curious what his reaction was when he saw his name in that phone call. Well, according to him, he had no knowledge of it and did not talk to anybody <laughs> right, in Ukraine. Right. So 
Because Rudy strikes me as somebody who's no longer really aware of the legal trouble he is putting himself into every time he opens his mouth. Mm -hmm. Bill Barr is smart enough to know how to protect himself. And this feels like he's he's probably frustrated that that Trump had pulled him in in this way. We, We don't know. But I think you're right, Phil. There's enough questions there where there at least should be some explanation for why he's not recusing himself. I mean, he may come out and say, you know what? The president mentioned my name, but I did not speak to anybody about this. I didn't do anything. And so therefore I'm in the clear. But there should be some transparency to that. I I mean, who I think regardless of if he recused himself, the the tainted um, Paul that is over the Justice Department at this point and, and the State Department, who would be a legitimate source of 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 judgment in this situation, according to the Democrats? Who would be the one that could properly take care of this situation? You might have to go to a, a, a bureaucrat. I mean, a, not a, a non-political appointee, somebody mm-hmm. who's been there who would have some some credibility because you're right. It's hard with the Trump administration to, to not find somebody who feels like they're, they've got a political interest. I mean, this well, was the situation with the DNI during the, uh, his, his testimony, um, which was, yeah. When was that? That was the, that was day th- Wednesday day or after Thursday? we taped. Yeah. yeah Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. Thursday. So although I, th- I felt like he came across as inc- very credible, you yes. know, and as somebody who did not seem at all as a partisan hack, somebody who was trying to do their job. Stuck in a bad situation. Exactly. And following the protocol yeah. that you're supposed to follow. It just happened to be a terrible, terrible situation. Right. And, and you know, good to him. Good on him for handling that in a professional way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to to go back to like, who's the who's the source we we look to? I, I think um, I, there, there's going to they're going to bring all sorts of people into. I mean, th- this is the the reason why this impeachment inquiry is important. So if you step back from the politics of it, forget you're a Republican or a Democrat. You know, it's not that you want to. No. This is where in an ideal world, this is where we find out the answers. Right. We're going to have an inquiry. We're going to investigate. We're going to figure out what happened and get to the bottom of it. And and without sort of preconceived notions, I, I realize that 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 I don't know if that's possible in this day and age. But I think the way people tend to think of that is uh, we're going to, you know, the, the Congress, Congress is going to subpoena or demand that Bill Barr come and testify, that Rudy Giuliani come and testify, that Pompeo come and testify. And that will be part of it. But I think a huge part of it is going to be documentary, right? It's going to be um, emails. It's going to be records of things. That's where this top secret server thing will, will also come in that, I mean, this is, maybe the downfall is that if it's a super top secret server with only a handful of people who have access, there's going to be a record of who accessed stuff, who moved the documents into mm-hmm. it, who moved them out. Um, we're going to, well, we know that there are text messages because Rudy Giuliani has gone on national TV and held up his phone and read text messages from people <laughs> just, in the state department. You see so how, I, big, he's, how big the text message bubbles are on his phone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that in some ways that will be the more, I mean, the, the testimony will be interesting, right? But, but it's going to be a little bit, I, I, the testimony will be a little bit like the DNI, the, the, um, director of national intelligence in that they're going to get Giuliani, they're going to get Pompeo there and they're going to present them with the, the evidence, with the documents and put him on the spot and make him squirm. And he's going to have to try to reconcile them with his story. Um, and so, you know, that, that will be the, I, I think that will be, that will be fascinating television when that happens. Yeah. I mean, you already see Pompeo trying to to bulwark against this saying uh, or was it the intelligence community that he sent the letter to saying that you're already trying to intimidate members. Right. Yeah. Into uh, testifying when they don't need to. 
there's no legitimate evidence. If they don't have documented evidence, significant documented evidence of this, if they're subpoenaing, subpoenaing uh, a significant amount of individuals, um, they're going to be in trouble. Realistically, I, I agree with you, Phil. I think this is the angle that they have to go because the more time that they spend on favors and the Bidens and, and, and all of that, I think that's still murky enough to where there's some plausible deniability. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this seems like a very concrete instance of impropriety that they could catch them on. Um, and if that's what they're they're angling for, that seems to be the way to do it. And, and on that on that note, I think that Adam Schiff is doing a really good job um, yeah. of playing that approach. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I, I know you don't like Adam Schiff, but no, uh, I don't. Mike Pompeo came out and sent this letter to at the intelligence, uh, the House uh, Intelligence Committee, um, and I guess other committees as well, in which he said State Department people aren't going to participate in this deposition. Um, this is harassment. Now. When Mike Pompeo was in the House and was on the Benghazi committee, he talked extensively about we need every document. We're going to get every source because we're going to get to the bottom of this. So, you know, he's just on the other side of it. So he's throwing bullshit out there. But but Schiff's response to that was not actually to respond to Pompeo. It was to issue a joint statement. He and Elijah Cummings and somebody else just issued a joint statement, which essentially said uh, that any attempt to, you know, intimidate members of the, of, you know, of the, of the government, of the bureaucracy to not cooperate with this investigation will be taken as obstruction of Congress. Like that, that is a, that is a crime. They just initiate issued the statement. And, and the reports have come out that people within the state department have been reaching out to the house intelligence committee. So Pompeo at the top is basically saying, I don't want state department employees to participate. In fact, there was some evidence that he was looking for ways that he might be able to punish people who do participate. But this is the sort of thing that I, I, this is where, you know, as more and more people, as Rudy Giuliani starts trying to bring down people, right? So Rudy Giuliani is the one who throws out that I wasn't doing this on my own. It came from the State Department. Um, (laughs) As people are starting to try to cover their own ass, they're going to start pointing fingers at other people. Um, And that's where, you know, if you're a, if you're a bureaucrat in the State Department and Pompeo, you think Pompeo is involved in going down, you you're reaching out to the intelligence committee saying, I want to come testify. Like I'm, I'm not, I wasn't caught up in this. I will tell you whatever you need to know. I'm not getting caught up in these partisan battles. And I I think that's how it will end up playing out. And I think the less sort of political that Schiff and others can be about it and more, we want to know what happened with the Ukraine situation. That's what we're working towards. I think that's the, the smartest way to approach it. I, I would agree with that. I think that and you can have your opinion on this whichever way that you want. I think that his, for lack of a better term, performance during the DNI testimony was ridiculous. You can talk about how it was parody and whatnot and how it was not meant to be taken seriously. He base he in, in a lot of of people's perspectives he politicized, he exceptionally politicized an already severely politicized, um, situation, uh, more so than, than was even kind of necessary. Um, it was, I, I, like I was, I was working at the time and kind of had it on in the background and I heard him talking and I had read the transcript immediately prior to this and I had to stop what I was doing. I I don't remember any of what the fuck he's saying right now. And it just, it was the most bizarre 
statement that I had ever heard come out of the mm-hmm. mouth of, of a member of Congress. I think that may have been his, I, I will say, I think, I think Schiff's done a pretty good job. I think that may have been a misstep though, because uh, to Phil's point, you're right that he's got to be straight. He can't be seen as overly partisan. All that being said, I think that was a mistake. He shouldn't have done the little parody thing, but otherwise, how much better is Schiff than all the other Democrats at this, including Nancy Pelosi and, and all the other committees who, you know, are just sort of dripping with partisanship and, and don't know how to ask, ask a good question. You know, I, I think, I think they should put all of this under Schiff and let him drive it because he's, he's really good at asking questions. And you're right. That was a little bit over the top, uh, but it got the point across. And I think he it got the point across. Well, I think he's trying to show the degree to which Trump is engaging in problematic behavior. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, he may have gone a bit too far in terms of the partisan angle there, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think he conducts a good hearing and he is going to keep the Republicans, uh, or I should say the Trump administration on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's another potential aspect to why, like, so I, he was, you know, really difficult on, he was really hard and pushed really hard on the, the director of national intelligence. Um, and there were some people who thought he was too, too difficult on him. Um, uh, I, I think there's another aspect to it though, which is that you also early on in this want to send a message, right? Because the, the DNI was in a tough spot, right? So he was presented with this whistleblower complaint and had to decide what to do with it. And there were all sorts of, you know, okay, so executive privilege might be a part of this. Also, you know, what, what do you do when the president is involved? Uh, you know, how do you handle this situation? And so he was in a difficult place in which he had to figure out how to handle this. But the point that Schiff was trying to get across was you made the decision to check with the White House about how to handle this when the White House was the subject of the complaint. I think the I think the 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 message that he's trying to get across to employees of the government is you, you know, you you have to think hard like you are in a position and if you were in a high ranking position in the government, you have to make hard decisions and don't expect that we're going to go easy on you just because the executive branch has told you to do something. So I, I think in some ways he sets a precedent for other people, you know, who are dealing with the Trump administration. Um, I You know, I don't know if that message is what gets across or not, but um, I don't know. Should we talk about either? I think. Go, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say. Can we, can we? I think it would be fun to talk a little bit about Trump's reaction and his strategy yeah. and Rudy and all of that. Yes. Because I agree. to me, I, I, I'm curious about your opinions because the, what they've done last last week, Phil, you were talking about how it's hard to go after somebody who can't be shamed, and I think there's some right. truth to that this week where. The Trump administration, I should say, not the Trump administration, Trump himself and Rudy are spinning all of these conspiracy theories, most of which have no grounding in any element of truth, but they're consistent in harping on them. Uh, you know, one, you know, they've been going after shift in the parody. Now, that, that one feels like there's at least some conversation to be had, but they've been, you know, they've been suggesting that they change the whistleblower laws and they, they've been on message over and over and over again. They've been calling this a coup and treasonous and so over the top civil war civil war right <laughs> uh and th- when you're willing to say anything especially like the, the whole thing like they changed the whistleblower laws or the rules which is, is not true right they updated a form didn't change anything of substance uh but it creates this impression that they're up to something and then there's a handful of individuals trump supporters who repeat that and the president repeats that and then the media says well this is the, the president's defense so then the story gets some legs it's really it's interesting to see how this takes potent. off yeah. yeah regardless yeah like you said there's 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 a a segment, a, a portion of, of legitimacy to the story. And you can, dependent on, on how 
politicized you think that the situation is. But yeah, most of it is is complete bullshit. But they are exceptionally consistent in what they're talking about. Yeah. And realistically, uh, what you were talking about previously, Phil, uh, Schiff was very on point uh, during during that testimony. But the only thing that gets played, especially in conservative news outlets, yeah. is that first part, is the parody part, yeah. which realistically was. It was, opening in my statement. opinion, it yeah. was an opening statement and it was still terrible. <laughs> but beyond that, nobody gives a shit that McGuire went to the the White House, you know, prior to, or to talk about executive privilege uh, first before doing anything else. They care about what Schiff said and, and tried to, you know, stonewall a, a, a legitimate civil servant who was doing his job and was trying to um, spin a story that was not truthful, which, in my opinion, is way more effective than trying to go into the minutia of all this. So, Especially when Trump doesn't give up, right? And continues. Right. I mean, saying this is treasonous. Even today he was doing this, that this is he's a bad person. Uh, yeah, it is. It's which. It's, really just shocking how impactful it is. My understanding is that one of the articles of impeachment against Andrew Johnson was essentially like that, right? The president recall it, calling a member of Congress a traitor and lashing out again. Like that's unacceptable, right? I, anyway. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, so I think there's a couple of aspects to his, his increasingly frantic approach to things. The amount of tweets he's had the, the, we talked before we came on the press conference with the Finnish uh, president oh. today was insane um yeah. I, there, it's he's he, i i think um he's 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 freaked out right like i i think the the his reaction indicates that he's there is panic in the white house right there is panic amongst people around trump that this is actually something that's going to stick i think that he did not imagine that this was actually ever going to happen. Um, he didn't think that Republicans would ever turn on him. And so the fact that Republicans in Congress and, and elsewhere, they haven't turned on him, but they're not just fully on board. The fact that Republicans are saying this is a problem, this is problematic, um, I think has him flailing around. But uh, so I, I think that's going to end up hurting him because the stuff he's saying and doing is is not, you know, when it comes down to it, when the when he's he's outright saying stuff that's going to come back to haunt him in the in the impeachment hearings from a PR standpoint, though, there's something that might be working about it. Right. And that you are just muddying and because the other part you talked about is you throw all of these conspiracy theories out there. It's not just that the media talks about them. It's that they feel the need to track them down and to investigate mm -hmm. them and and to explain that they are inaccurate um, and so it it does, in fact, change the media focus a little bit. That That's where I think Adam Schiff has been good or other Democrats so far. The House Democrats have been good at sticking to the core point, which is regardless of all of your accusations about the whistleblower or about who they are or about whether the law was changed. What we do know is that the president called the president of Ukraine and and dangled, you know, military aid in front of him in return for um, for dirt on a political opponent. And then he covered it up that we know that the, the president released mm -hmm. a transcript that pointed to that. He has admitted that he, that he right. talked about Biden. And so they continue to focus on that yeah. core issue. And I think that's the key to making it yeah. stick because Trump's going to continue to throw other stuff out there. And it puts the media in a tough position because you know, the, the, the story about the, you know, changing of the whistleblowing law is really, it's, it's an interesting one, right? And I, I had to spend some time going in and reading about that. Mm -hmm. And they did change the form. Yes. 
Now you could always, so the issue was whether you had to have primary source or whether you could have secondhand information. And the form, the allegation made was that they changed the form right before this report was going in so that you could have secondhand information and that previously you couldn't. Well, that's not true, right? And the inspector general came out and said, no, you've always been able to uh, pass on secondhand information. Mm-hmm. It was just that the previous form was unclear about that. It made it sound like you had to have first. Right. Time. So now they've cleaned up the form. But it, it plays into this narrative that if Trump continues to push and push and push, and it means you, you know we have to spend time looking into this and trying to figure it out. I mean, I feel like I follow this stuff pretty closely, but there's a lot of times when Trump says something that I'm like, is, all right, is that true? And I spend time looking into it. Mm. Well, and his righteous indignation creates the yes. sense that not only is it true, but that it matters. So, because that's the other part about the whistleblower mm-hmm. form. Even if it were true, even if the even if they had changed the rules about secondhand versus firsthand information, even if all of that were true and there were something fishy about it, it doesn't change the core of the of the fact, which is that we have a transcript from the president. The president has admitted to doing this. So there's the sense that somehow it would matter if the whistleblower you know, had o- only secondhand versus firsthand information. None of that actually changes the core information at the center of the scandal, which is about um, you know, the, the fact that, 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 again, Trump had this conversation with the Ukrainian president and then which they took text the, the piece and moved it yeah. to a, another server. So all of that stays yeah. the same. But somehow he, he convinces you that, that it, this is both a problem and that if it is a problem, that it changes the whole the whole crisis, the whole scandal goes away. If that's not the case, the the, sim- the story today that that goes along those lines is the New York Times reported that the whistleblower reached out to or had conversations with Adam Schiff before all of this played out, and and the you know the conservative media is blowing up about how this shows that that Schiff and the Democrats were in on it and helped write it, and I, and none of that is 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 true that that in fact if you look at whistleblower rules if you are a whistleblower there are various avenues you can take including the inspector general or the intelligence committees of the house and so what he did is he he actually filed uh, or, or reached out to somebody in the CIA because he was a CIA agent I guess reached out to somebody in the CIA saying I have concerns about this and because nothing came of that, he reached out to the House Intelligence Committee and said, hey, I've got these concerns. What should I do? And um, they told him, you should hire a lawyer and you should talk to the you should file a report through the inspector general. They sent him to the proper pathway. Uh, so there's n- there's no scandal there. But the way they talk about it and the level of sort of indignation that they have about it makes it feel like there's a story there. And, and, it, and, it, ta- and it changes the narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. At the press conference this afternoon, he was saying that Schiff probably wrote the wrote the whistleblower report. And, you know, and so then you have to discredit that. And it, it, again, it muddies the water. This all feels very 1984 to me where, you know, we've read the transcript of the conversation. But yet that does the, it doesn't even matter. Right. It's it's the interpretations of that of that. It's, those words. It's not just the transcript right. of the so, it's yeah. not just the transcript ahead, of the conversation. It's the transcript of the conversation that the president released. So it's not mm-hmm. even in, mm-hmm. in dispute in that sense. So what were you saying, Nick? Yeah. No, I, I'm just saying, like, we, we, you know, we're talking about the transcript itself. Nick My interpretation, it. it. yeah. I have it right here. Trust <laughs> me, I read it plenty of times. Um, and you guys should read it, too. I put both this and the uh, the whistleblower complaint on my Twitter. It takes maybe 10 minutes yeah. to read both. Please do it yourselves. Realistically, my interpretation of what's in this transcript is infinitely different than what you guys are mm-hmm. talking about. To me, this is not a, a, a direct instance of him asking for a favor to look into the Bidens. 
the first thing he talks about is looking into CrowdStrike and the Democratic server and the hacking yeah. of the 2016 election, which and is then also he crazy. mentions the Bidens. Right. <laughs> yes. yes, and illegal. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Regardless, the biggest the biggest thing that we're talking about is that he's trying to dig up information or he's he's withholding uh, military funding for the Ukraine to look up information on the Bidens, which is nowhere in here. Nowhere does he mention that. So I, there is the, nowhere in this transcript where he mentions I'm going to withhold that. No, the no, 100% disagree. I, I, I 100% disagree with you, Nick. All right, <laughs> let's. All right, let's hear it. Go ahead. <laughs> so I don't have the transcript in Please. front of me, but but the, the, I mean, my my understanding is that that what happens essentially is that the 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 Ukrainian president says, hey, we'd like to buy some more of those Javelin missiles, right? Which is a reference to the military aid. That's money coming from the sure. US used to buy Javelin missiles. To which Donald Trump then responds, I'd like to have ask a favor though, right? That's sure. the next statement mm, yeah. that comes. So that is mm -hmm. what, what the, again, I, I'm not a lawyer, but legal scholars who have honed in on that, that that is essentially all it takes in a court of law to establish quid, quid pro quo. If, if I say to you, uh, or if you if if I were to say to you, uh, you know, I don't know, Nick, I really need to I need to borrow money and you respond with, well, there's something I'd like to talk to you about, though, the 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 understandable interpretation of that is there is a contingency, right, that I, I will do that contingent on this thing that you that I am asking. I don't I, I just I, I don't see I don't see the direct I, I mean, I, I understand your point. I just I'm not. Sure, it's that it's that starkly obvious in this particular situation. I did hear there was another I don't know somewhere reading or hearing about uh, a former prosecutor of the mob came on and said, you know, it's never as clear as you want it to be. But they did say that this of is course. this is more clear than the mobsters are right. That the mobsters are more wink, 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 and uh, but that you know that I need I need a favor though, right? Uh, and even Kevin McCarthy. So when he was presented with this information on on CBS. Uh, he accused Scott Pelley of adding something, adding the though. Uh, and he said, no, that's, that's in the transcript. That is what the Trump administration released. And so for me, it feels like if you're saying, but I need a favor, though, right? It, there is, uh, OK, we can do that, but it's going to require something. And then when you bring up CrowdStrike and then after that, bring up the, you know, the Bidens, then it, you're right. It's not a, it's not a specific direct quid no. pro quo, and but it's, it's no. there. It, it, the, and realistically, the first statement that came out of Pelosi's mouth after this was released was, we don't need quid pro quo in this right. situation. It's true. Implying you don't, you that, don't. They, that it's not there in the first place. Right. And you so, don't. You don't need the. Right. Yeah. Completely understand. Still could be the illegal. It's still. <laughs> absolutely. It could still be illegal. My point is the fact that we're even having this discussion right now means that everybody else in the country is having the same discussion based on their perspectives. Sure. Everybody in government is having this this discussion, which means that this is still too muddied to be a winning argument. But I what think. about the fact that those that were based on, the on call, this information, right, but those that were on the call that heard the call said, we can't let this call get That's out. We got to go good. put this on the secret server. Right. But what else did they put in the server? We don't know. Is this just what they did because they didn't want the press having access to anything? They didn't put everything on the server. No, allegedly. they didn't. You know, like Putin calls, Saudi Arabia calls, and Ukraine calls, sure. which, you know, to me feels like they're trying to hide something, either for political yes. reasons because it's embarrassing to. They or are for hiding. criminal. They are <laughs> hiding something. They are. <laughs> then stick with that statement. <laughs> Say this is uh, against the, the practice of what you should be doing. This is not what this yeah. information is for. It should be made public. And you tried to hide it. Yeah. Not don't go into the substance of this particular argument unless you have more that we can learn from. If there are other conversations, other instances where it's more obvious, 
fine, let's talk about it. But if there is a concrete instance of them flouting the law or trying to hide information from members of Congress or any other official that would want access to this, then yes, that is the avenue that you go down to win this argument. So I'm going to go back to the analogy that I used like a year and a half ago when we first started talking about this stuff, which is that smoking guns aren't literally smoking guns, right? So when when there's a smoking gun, it's not actually, well, even when there is a smoking gun, right? If you walk into a room and there's a dead person and a smoking gun, you're still implying things, right? You didn't actually see the murder happen. And so this is one of those where I think the whistleblower complaint lays out all of this stuff. When you, when you have a pattern in which the president puts a hold on $400 million that's going to go to Ukraine, that's supposed to go to Ukraine, that has been approved by Congress. And then Mm -hmm. following that hold, they send Rudy Giuliani to meet with him and they continue to talk about how, you know, we really need you to look into Joe Biden. We're going to push you to meet, look into Joe Biden. Maybe we can arrange a visit to the White House for you. And and meanwhile, there's four hundred million dollars that's not being delivered. It's it's one of those where you're, you're right. There's not a you know, it's not explicit, but the connecting of the dots is such that it, it just it's it's it seems pretty clear to me that that's that's what's what's going on. Um, we should move on. Yeah, we, we do. Well, we're we are over, out of time. time. We are over time, but we still haven't talked all that much about Rudy Giuliani. And I want to <laughs> talk for a second about Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, just because I Go think I, I would love to hear sort of Tom's take on this. And, 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 and I don't know, is he on next week? Is that, is that? He's next week. Yeah. yeah. All right. So maybe we can talk about this a little bit. But uh, Rudy Giuliani is, as we've talked about, uh, you know, has a, a reputation of being a brilliant prosecutor. He was, you know, a long time ago, um, had that reputation. Now he seems to have kind of, I, I don't know what he's doing. Um, but I, so <laughs> what's your take on, well, okay. So there's some legal questions involved that have come up about, uh, so Rudy has, cont- by, by going on national TV and saying that he wasn't doing this alone, right? He was doing this, that the state department had asked him to, and by showing texts between he and state department employees talking about this, that at that point, he's no longer working as Trump's attorney, right? He's working at the request of the state department, which means that attorney client privilege doesn't apply anymore because the issue that they're talking about is not protected by attorney client privilege. So he could potentially be forced to testify, testify about stuff at the same time. He is not a a white house employee, so he doesn't qualify for executive privilege either. So by going down this road, (laughs) they will make arguments about privilege and how it should apply. But it seems like he's potentially opened the door for uh, everything is on the table. He can be compelled to testify. But I think I, 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 when, when he goes on national TV and he's showing these texts between he and state department people, when he's pointing the finger at Mike Pompeo, when he's talking about other people, <laughs> is that him just like panicking and being in the heat of the moment? Is there some strategy to that? Is he just trying to cover his own ass? Is there like, what, what's going on? It's hard for me to figure out if he's incompetent or if he's brilliant and there's some strategy to this that he's doing. Um, yes, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> I, I feel like, so he used to be, I mean, from all accounts, a very, very sharp prosecutor. Uh, actually I spoke with somebody a while back who worked in his, uh, you know, under, under him and said he was brilliant, mm-hmm. uh, by the book and, and was kind of surprised at the direction he is, he has moved. <laughs> Some of the conspiracy theories that he's peddling now 
are so far out there. I mean, it's not just the ones that we've talked about today, but that the, you know, that the Obama was involved and Hillary was involved in Ukraine. And the, I mean, some of them are so far out there that it makes me think he's not in a really good place mentally to kind of capture all of this because he's putting himself in legitimate harm's yeah. way. I mean, he could go to jail for this. This isn't just, you know, giggles anymore. He could literally face, you know, prosecution for some of this. I, I think he's like, if I had to rank the people who are going to like the likelihood of ending up in jail at the end of all of this, he's at the top of my list right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just sad. We haven't even talked about how he, in an interview, went uh, went off on yelling about how at the end he's going to be the hero, right? He's the hero yes. of this whole thing. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Anytime you end a conversation with that, you know you are in trouble, right? Uh, <sighs> recognize me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, so bad. We can America's come back more of this mayor. next week with Tom because you're right. It'd be fun to get against legal perspective. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, let's jump in and talk about some beers. Phil, what are you enjoying? So I'm drinking um, a beer from Great Rhythm Brewing Company, which is out of uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, and this is their Citrilia. It's their New England Ooh. double IPA, which I saw on a beer advocate or something referred to as an imperial IPA or an American imperial IPA. I don't know what the difference between a double IPA and an imperial IPA is. Um, they both Royalty? taste their. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> <is> Christ. <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, this is really good. I'm really liking this. It's, it's, you know, it is what I think of when I think of an, of a double IPA. It is, it's got the hoppiness, the citrus, cit- the citrusiness. is that, that's mm-hmm. not a word. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all kind of cranked up an extra amount, but they're not, you know, again, some double IPAs are just too much. They're over the top. This is, this is really nice. I I'm, I'm really enjoying it. You've been, you've been on a good run, a good beer. I have been mm-hmm. on a good run. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Other than that one another? that I described as being orange juice with a sock soaking in yeah. it. That one was not good. You're only misstep. <laughs> Nick, what, what do we enjoy? Uh, we're enjoying a, a, a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Um, I hate that it's fall. It's, it was it was oh, it was almost delightful. 90 degrees yesterday. And oh. now it's like 60 and raining. You and can I be outside and you're not sweating all the no, time. That. That's I why we got to drink Oktoberfest. Um uh, their their Oktoberfest is not bad. Yeah. Um it, it's pretty it's pretty middle of the road, um, as it should be from a, a giant brewer like them. Um yeah, uh, uh, a a pretty heavy maltiness, um pretty sweet, mm-hmm. um, but not overly sweet. Um like I said, it's 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 a standard Oktoberfest. Better than the one we had was it two weeks ago that was just sort of okay. Mm-hmm. That's spectacular. I always think I'm going to enjoy Oktoberfest beers more than I do um, I, because I love fall so much. Yeah, but yeah. you know what beer is best? Summer beers Summer are beers. best. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, just just an okay, solid Oktoberfest. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to uh, check out the beers that we have on the podcast, uh, follow us on Untapped, which you can download on iOS or Android. Look for Barstool Politics on there, and you will find all of our reviews. All right, speed round, yep. and we're going to start with Phil's Campaign Corner. So time for Phil's Campaign Corner. Lost in all the impeachment coverage is the fact that the Democratic Party is holding a primary election. Did, did you know that, Nick? I, I didn't know that. I, I honestly <laughs> forgot. Yeah. It. Look, <laughs> luckily, we've got our man Phil Barker on the ground in New Hampshire, keeping us updated on the latest developments. Developments in the primary. This last week, Phil spent time with Elizabeth Warren on her visit to Keene State College. Phil, tell us what you've learned from your up close observations of the Warren campaign. 
Um, so I, the, the, some, I, I have lots of thoughts on this. Um, there was a, there was, you and I texted a little bit about this bill. There was a, um, daily, the New York times podcast, a week and a half ago, yeah. did a episode just on the anatomy of a Warren rally. And I, I found it really interesting. They talked, kind of walked through how, you know, how she goes through things. They, that was the day that was the rally in which in New York city, she stayed for four hours and took selfies with, yeah. you know, thousands of people. Um, so then, you know, a few days after that, I listened to that podcast and then she comes to to campus. So she was here in the spring um, and had a good turnout. Uh, it was, you know, maybe the most kind of invigorated uh, rally of of or event of the spring season. Um, and so then she came back and I was interested to see because Beto was here in the in the spring and had this huge turnout. And then when he came back in the fall, it was much smaller, much more subdued. Um, this felt like something different. I, of all the events that I've been a part of, um, of the candidates coming, this was different. The turnout was by Keene state standards, huge. There were something like a thousand people who showed up to this, which may not seem like that much, but you know, Keene is a town of 20,000 people. Um, uh, and, um, some people who were, were, uh, who've been doing this for a long time at Keene state were saying that it might've been the biggest political event on campus that they remember, um, bigger than like when Hillary was the nominee and was coming three and a half years ago. Um, and when she came out, like the, 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 the sense of the, the people, the crowd, when she came out on the stage, it was it was like a feeling of like electricity, like people were into it. People were fired up in a way that, you know, other events, people, candidates come and people ask questions and it's a back and forth. This felt more like a pep rally. Um, and, and it just, it, it just, it felt different. Like I couldn't help, but as I watched it, I thought my immediate thought was she's going to win, right? This is the way that mm -hmm. it's just, it just felt different than other events. She stayed after she did the selfie thing. Um, uh, and took pictures, said she would take selfies to stay as long as she, she wanted, as people wanted to. There was a line, you know, hundreds of people long who waited, all waited to take their selfie with her. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it just feels different. I, I think there's some stuff to it. Like I, I'm going to say some stuff that's going to make you mad, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so I, as I, like when I, I always tell my students when a candidate is coming and, and, you know, they, some of them they're interested in, some they're not so interested in. When Beto was here, there was pretty good turnout. When I told my students that, um, Elizabeth Warren was coming, there were students who were in tears because they were really? so excited about it. Yes. Wow. So that's yes. And I know that you think that's ridiculous, Nick, and it might be ridiculous, but it reveals something about the level of like yeah. excitement about her campaign. Um so whether it's it, whether that's ridiculous or not, um I it's it's telling, I think. Um the fact that people are willing to stay in line for hours to take a selfie with her is telling about the depth of her support in a way that, that it was just really interesting. It just was different from any other candidate who's been on campus. I've had some conversations with people lately who don't agree with her policies. Uh, you know, she, I, I think she's for me also too similar to Trump and sort of anti-trade issues, but even though they disagree with her on a number of policies, really, really like her, mm -hmm. uh, and, and see her as a really good candidate, uh, even though they disagree with a variety of those policies. And to me, that's somewhat telling of the movement that she seems to be driving right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm still of the opinion that she's going to be the, the nominee. That's true. You've been point. saying that for a while. Um, yeah. I, I think, well, Bernie's on the verge of death apparently. And, uh, I, I think the more as, <laughs> as time goes on, uh, regardless of the efficacy of the statements, um, Biden just seems to be, he has an albatross around his neck, um, or, you know, his dentures around his neck, however you want to put that. Corn um, pop? 
corn pop? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, realistically, like I, I, it's yeah, that one statement that's a little weird to me. But in terms of, in it's really weird to me. Um, in terms of enthusiasm and you know people kind of gravitating towards her and wanting to come out for that, I completely understand that she is something different than than the rest of the field at this point um i you know i i've said it many times i i don't i fundamentally don't agree with her on a lot of her stances but the fact that she's very detailed about it seems to have a plan um and and can talk about it in in depth uh and is still very approachable <clears throat> and is her her personality is is just is is very approachable she is I, I think she's going to be the candidate. Yeah. And she's know. not dynamic the way that like when Obama caught fire, there was an element to her personality that you understood. She doesn't have that personality, but yet people still love her. And that, that is telling as well. The, the, yeah. I heard a number of people after her events say that they hadn't seen anything like that since Obama was here um, when he was campaigning. So I, I, I know the, the bell just rang, but there's a there's the saying that I've seen pop up a few times over the last month or so. Um, and I keep thinking about it in response in terms of Elizabeth Warren, which is this idea that Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love. Um, which is, you know, mm. Republicans vote for their candidate, but for Democrats. And it, when you think about Democratic candidates who have been successful, it's been the Barack Obamas, the Bill Clintons. Um, you know, it's it's been the, the 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 people who are more dynamic, who are, you know, the JFKs, the Al Gores and the John Kerry's don't do so well. Right. So it's the people who who evoke that kind of emotional response who tend to do well. And so the, the thing that will be interesting for me to watch moving forward is that the, the rally felt or the rally, the event felt different in the energy from the spring to now, but it also felt different in structure. Her campaign is really well organized. They run things really well, but as she gets increasingly popular, she doesn't have as much time to interact with people. And so she, you know, she stayed for selfies. She took questions, but she only took three questions as opposed to when she was here in the spring and took a lot. And, and at some point as her popularity grows that there's something about, you know, that I'm going to stay for selfies with everyone that fits with her message, right? That it's the sort of democratic, you know, it's it's not about who's in, in power. It's not about having wealth or access or privilege. It's like everyone's equal. Um, but as she gets increasingly popular, that's going to be in some ways more difficult to maintain. And it'll be interesting to see how she manages to walk that line um, as, as if, if her popularity continues to grow. You're right. It's a, it's a logistical challenge that she can't keep that up. One quick note, you mentioned Bernie, who's, uh, had what a bunch of stints put in today as having heart issues. He's going to be fine. My favorite thing about this story though, is that Bernie probably from the hospital is, is tweeting and he says, thanks for all the well wishes. I'm feeling good. I'm fortunate to have good healthcare and great doctors and nurses helping me to recover. None of us know what a medical emergency might affect us and no should, no one should fear going bankrupt if it occurs. Medicare for all. The guy's in the hospital. I know. So and he's still plugging. He's still just throwing it in your face, dumbasses. <laughs> the, the, but the Medicare for all at the end, Medicare for all exclamation point felt I, the part that I thought about. I thought the same thing. Like he's back at it. He's tweeting. Yeah. He wants to. He. It's important to send a message that he's healthy. He's okay and all of that. But the the fact that he ended a, a tweet with a Medicare for all exclamation point felt very Trumpian. <laughs> yes. Like it. It seems like the ways in which like Trump, the way Trump oh. approaches politics, has started to sort of mm -hmm. spread to to uh, you know the way we expect people or the way 
way we think about, you know, tweets and, and exclamations and whatnot. If people start capitalizing random letters, oh, <laughs> goodness. All right. All right, moving on. So let's jump international. So on Tuesday, China celebrated 70 years of Communist Party rule and its rise to global power super status <laughs> with a military parade. On the, occasion, on the occasion, President Xi promised that, quote, there is no force that can shake the status of this great nation. No force can stop the Chinese people and the Chinese nation forging ahead. That's powerful words. But the celebration was marred by the large and increasingly violent protests in Hong Kong. The protests cast a dark shadow over Beijing's carefully choreographed projection of national unity and power. China's leadership gathered on a platform over Tiananmen Square to watch a military parade of 15,000 troops and weapons, including new hypersonic drones and intercontinental ballistic missiles. The contract per contrast perfectly captured the <clears throat> uncertainty of future events in both China and Hong Kong. Trump created some controversy of his own by tweeting, Happy 70th birthday uh, to President Xi and the Chinese people. Phil, you recently sent Jimmy Carter a card for his 95th birthday. That was nice of you. Uh, what's your reaction to China turning 70? <laughs> uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I have a reaction to them turning uh, 70 so much as I do to some of the events surrounding it, which is that, you know, so Trump's tweet about congratulating uh, China on 70 years of the communist revolution um, is an example of him being a little bit... Uh, a little tone deaf. I think it was interesting yeah. to see how quickly Republicans, Republicans came out and, and yeah. sort of distanced themselves and said that's inappropriate. But I think the bigger thing for me is that this is happening. Meanwhile, that the, that the uh, protests in Hong Kong are going on in which a, a, a protester was shot in the chest by, by yep. police uh, in Hong Kong, um, which has not received a whole lot of media coverage or attention. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the part that's interesting in some ways, this is kind of a distraction from, from that. And I, and I, you know, I worry about the fact that if, if, if the international community is focused on whether it's China turning 70 or whether it's Trump's impeachment or Brexit or whatever, uh, that not actually criticizing or condemning this might be interpreted by China as the, you know, not, not necessarily a green light, but, but, uh, the international community is not going to complain too much if we crack down on on Hong Kong protests, and I, I could see that sort of moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Nick, also, you like a good also, birthday party too. China's terrible, <laughs> not as a whole, yeah. just as an authoritarian regime. The the the, the government of China, not great. <laughs> the end. Good job. Like I needed to throw that <laughs> in. That's good because I'm going to take that and run with yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, no, they're. Um, May they, in my opinion, the biggest threat to um, the global system that the U.S. has created over the past sixty to seventy years um, that we have ever seen, uh, way beyond the Soviet Union, in my opinion, at this point. Um, as much as the Soviet Union was a kind of sprawling, dominant uh, force uh, during the second half of the twentieth century, China seems to be taking this weird kind of hybrid. Um, not democracy, but um, capitalistic communism uh, and spreading more from an economic standpoint, uh, kind of getting their their uh, tentacles in with regions of the world where they don't necessarily, again, care about human rights or the well-being of the individual populations as much as they care about increasing trade uh, between those regions and the Chinese mainland. Uh, and Hong Kong, while... Um, it's 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 the major economic powerhouse of of China at this point and has been for for decades uh, continues to be a thorn in their side. Um, 
as as much as I think that um, the Hong Kong protests <clears throat> will kind of temper their their behavior uh, from a militaristic and authoritarian standpoint, you know, they, they have it in the statement. Nothing's going to stop them from doing anything that they want, um, which is that was exceptionally ominous when I saw that. Um, and I'm really, really worried about what could happen to Hong Kong in the very near future. Um, as much as the the protesters don't seem uh, that they're getting close to a point where they're willing to stop or negotiate, I would bet that the the Chinese central government is even farther away from negotiating or stopping from what they could potentially do. This is, I, I think I was struck by the language as well. This is classic power politics. This is a, China is a country that is a growing and is, is, is a certainly a regional power right now, hegemonic power. It is heading towards global hegemonic status, which means that inevitably the United States and China will be vying for control of this global system. You know, language like there is no force that can shake the status of this great nation is, is telling, right? They are, they are ascending and want to embrace that role, especially in the region, but I think globally as well. You know, I had my students read this week, we were looking at the US-China relationship, and we read this piece by Graham Allison, who's written an, a ton in political science, he's well respected. And his position is that, uh, you know, if you look throughout history, when a rising power challenges an existing power, I think like 12 out of the 16 times in history that has happened, there's been war. And his assessment is that it's more likely that there's going to be conflict between the United States and China than not. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what history tells us. When one one country wants to take control of the system, another is not going to want to give up power. This is this does not suggest this is going to end easily. The times where those states have avoided that conflict is when diplomats in those systems, leaders of those systems have found nice exit ramps. And we, we don't have those, right? I mean, Donald Trump is certainly not that. Mm -hmm. uh, President Xi is not that. I, I think this is a sign of a future trouble. No, I, I, I would say that the only... Go ahead, Phil. I, I talked a lot. No, go ahead. Um, I, I would say the only difference in this particular situation is that <clears throat> most of... Chinese power, especially over the past 20 to 30 years, has come out of the globalized system where the U.S. is still and will undoubtedly remain the dominant power in that. Um, like I said, most of the actions that China has undertaken has been to um, prop up or, or um, support and secure their uh, economic opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times to the detriment of, of uh, Southeast Asia and even sure. Africa at this point. Um, so I think they're trying to slowly kind of chip away at that system to create their own. But I think it's so intertwined at this point that it would be, it would take a lot to break that down and they don't have the ability to stand up on their own. And I'm not sure they will ever have that opportunity the way that their system hmm. works. Right. The, the U.S. And the, and the Chinese economic systems are so interdependent at this point that it's I, – I, I think the Allison argument is really interesting. I mean that's you know, power transition theory. Um, but um, the, I, I don't know that we've ever seen a situation quite like this. Um, the other part that I think the biggest challenge maybe or the, 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 the thing that might stand in the way of that, of Chinese you – know, the, the idea of you know, being dissatisfied with American leadership in the world and the inevitable conflict of that is, is the fact that China also has 
you know, what, a billion and a half people um, who, you know, what's going on in Hong Kong is an example of, you know, we're talking about the, the Chinese leadership, the Chinese regime. But if, if there is, if the people of China want a, want to be a part of a sort of Western liberal kind of democratic type system, that has the potential to really kind of muck all this up and change it around some as well. I, I, we're, I think a ways away from that, but the fact that, that Hong Kong is pushing in the way that they are, uh, you know, you, you, you never, you, you never know where these sorts of events go. Mm-hmm. And I would agree that the Chinese political system is is not something to replicate. But when you're thinking about you compare that to the United States, the you know, the chaos that is the American democracy, you know, I think people look at China as a, as a more stable model right now, as troubling as that may be. Uh, their economy is very forward thinking, whether you're talking about AI and a whole host of issues, they, you know, environmental stuff there. <clears throat> Stolen from us. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. in Great power politics, yeah. though. You know, the rising powers, you know, the United States stole a lot of technology and ideas and, and intellectual property from Great Britain, right? I mean, this yes. is what happens. Uh, and and so I, I think the United States needs to wake up to the challenge that China's posing. Yeah, I I, I know we're way over yeah, time sorry. at this point. But um, go ahead, Phil. I was just going to say, it sounds to me like you're advocating for a Chinese communist type system in the United States and for war between the U.S. and China. Go. That's what you're advocating for, Bill? Is that, that right? Sounds good. <laughs> both of those. Both. Good. I, okay. I, I, I just wanted sure, to get you on the record. Sure I was entirely clear on that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, just a real quick yeah. point on that. It's, um, I, I think that it presents a, a stable alternative just because it's operated without, without regulation and it requires unfettered growth to keep a billion people in line. The reason that we don't have more uprisings or insurrections mm-hmm. or, or challenges to the central government is that standards of living have increased dramatically for an, a, the average Chinese citizen, <clears throat> or I should probably the uh, the urban Chinese yeah, citizens. Um, and if you take that away from them, if there is a conflict that takes them out of that system that gave them that to a, a more antiquated system that their parents or grandparents were used to, they're not going to have that. Right. It's it. They. Yeah, that's that's a bad situation. There is China. real pressure on, on the Chinese government to maintain this growth and continue to have development. All of that. Absolutely. All right, let's jump back and uh, look at the uh, impeachment issues, but looking at a slightly different angle. In our opening topic, we discussed Trump's conversation with the Ukrainian president. Well, that wasn't the only Trump conversation that made the news this week. The Washington Post revealed new new details from now the now infamous White House meeting with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak in 2017. We knew that during that meeting, Trump revealed classified information about ISIS, as well as telling the Russians that firing FBI Director James Comey the previous day had relieved great pressure on him. However, we did not know that during the meeting, Trump also told the Russian officials that he was unconcerned about Moscow's interference in the 2016 presidential election because the United States did the same in other countries. The assertion so alarmed White House officials that they limited access to the remarks to a small number of people. It is likely that that transcript of the conversation is now sitting right next to those Ukrainian transcripts. <laughs> Phil, the news of news of Trump's comments alarmed some. Do you think he really said that? <laughs> he wouldn't say that, would he? Of course not. Yeah, of course he said it. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, I, I mean, this is the part that I think is is interesting, and that this this is where 
uh, the the next few weeks or months are going to be really interesting because, as we said before, if there is this top secret, you know, the, the whatever classified level server that things are being put on, there's going to be a record of those sorts of of of, of transact. I mean, the the report is it's not just this. We well, the report hasn't been that this particular con- conversation is there, but phone calls between Putin and Trump are on that server. Phone calls between uh, Trump and uh, Mohammed bin Salman of, of Saudi Arabia, the Crown prince are on that those are interesting people right i mean this is when you're dealing with the you know the the um the murder and and dismemberment of of uh, jamal khashoggi when you're dealing with you know who knows what is said uh, putin has been all week kind of making these little tweezer uh, tweezer teaser statements uh, today he said he made some statement at a press conference along the lines of, I always assume that people are listening because I, because of my previous life, I always assume that people are listening to my conversations and I have no problem if the American government wants to release <laughs> our phone calls, which is, you know, it's his way of saying essentially they, they of course have recordings or records of the phone calls. This is, this is his right. way of, you know, pushing everyone's buttons. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- this is it's not all that surprising to me. It should be deeply concerning that you know Trump. Uh, there's the public message which he doesn't th- where he talks about how he doesn't necessarily think the Russians are in, are involved. If he's privately telling them, I yeah, I, you're involved and I don't care. That's also problematic. Um, but I I sort of think this is all going to come out, right? Don't don't you think at some point we're going to get trans we're going to see transcripts of these phone calls? I think more Nick and I were talking before we, we started taping that the leaks are just, just going at such a rate now, uh, a traitorous rate, if you right. will, treasonous even. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and more and more information is going to come out and, and it could be through the whistleblower mechanism, but I think more likely we're just going to see this stuff dropped and released to the press. And none of it is going to be the more transparency about Trump, the, the worse off he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's better off at their secrets. See, this is this is kind of the issue that I, I was talking about in, in our original uh, conversation. As bad as this sounds, this to me is not surprising. Yeah. Like it, what he's saying, unless he gave them specific information on a specific instance where the U.S. interfered with a, a sovereign state's election, this does not surprise me, and it should not surprise anyone. Pick up a fucking history book. Mm-hmm. And if this is the information that's on that server, just him being an asshole and sounding like an idiot, then that I, I, like that doesn't necessarily give me confidence that there is a smoking gun in that server somewhere beyond the fact that they put information in that server. But don't, don't isn't I it, isn't you, con- you look incredulous. <laughs> no, no, I, I like I. So the idea that the U.S. has interfered in other elections is is shouldn't be controversial. We have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it should be a concern that Donald Trump says to Russia, I don't give a shit that you interfered in our elections. Right. That part of it should be a big deal. Right. Oh, if he specifically said that, then yes, that should absolutely be a concern. Yes. If it is, uh, again, if it's just him saying that we've interfered in things, then no, that mm. that doesn't really hold water in my in, in my opinion. I, a couple thoughts that strike me is, is I wonder how unique Trump is. I know that behind the scenes, these these heads of state have to be more frank with each other and they they don't always follow protocol. But then I start thinking about how, you know, Barack Obama, Barack Obama conducted himself, how George W. Bush, they were very, very formal in these interactions. So, you know, I, I think there's while you want some level of secrecy and you want these heads of state to have a chance to get to know each other, you can't say something like that, right? This feels like that's outside of 
really pursuing your own state's strategic interest. Uh, you've, you've compromised U.S. integrity in doing so. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's a temptation here for Democrats to go uh, as more and more stuff pops up and uh, more stuff like this occurs. Like you said, there's going to be lots of leaks. There, there's a temptation to try to sort of expand the impeachment inquiry into all of these different avenues. Do you think that's a good idea? Mm. Is it is it good to sort of build up a larger case of all these instances in which things have, have been have been done that are problematic? Or is it better to stay focused on this one particular issue, drive that home oh. and let the media talk about these other things in a way that swings public opinion? So public opinion might you know start to turn as more of these stories come out, which might lead, you know, encourage further support of the, you know, the more limited articles of impeachment that are going to come. I'm so torn on this because my my initial thought is like the more evidence you have, the stronger the case is. So you bring all of it to bear and say, like, it is overwhelming that this individual should be removed from office. But the Mueller report suggests something else. I mean, you know, having read the Mueller report and looked at that, to me, this is clear evidence that this individual is unfit for office, committed crimes and engaged in conduct that we should just not want in a president. But the Democrats didn't think so. <laughs> right. But because it was 400 pages and nobody read it, including members of Congress, it didn't work. So I think there there may be real value in keeping this narrowly focused on Ukraine, even though I, you know, my gut tells me throw more evidence in there. But I think the American public, I don't know if it sells. If you give them too much, they get confused yeah. and then they just they go play video games. No, <laughs> you lose that? momentum. I mean, <laughs> what do you think, though? Am I wrong or? No, I I, uh, I think you're right, right? The part of me that wants to know the story, wants, mm-hmm. you know, wants to see uh, notes from these meetings with 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 Russian officials subpoenaed. I want to see, you know, what else is on that server? What else was said on those and the, and and maybe they'll kind of push for that as part of this. But yeah, I think if if you're not if you're not careful, you end up chasing down so many different leads that you get lost, it gets dragged out and like you said, like the Mueller report where 2 years later and nothing has occur- has occurred. I think you you have to focus on a couple of very specific things and try to really push the hand that is strong. And that's the nice thing about Ukraine is that it's a it's a simple story, right? I can tell you the story of what happened. Yeah. Most Americans can understand it. Um, and, and most Americans have a gut reaction that, hey, that's probably not cool. Um, and so the more you expand it into other stuff, the more you try to strengthen that argument by throwing other things on it, the more you actually uh, confuse things, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less yeah. is more. No, I, I, there's there has to be a happy middle ground between 400 pages yeah. and a single transcript. I, I, like if they can keep just kind of slowly feeding these little tidbits here and there that are very succinct, that are very uh, at the same time, very detailed uh, about a specific instance of some sort of impropriety or, or, or um, uh, breaking the law. Um, I think that's the winning move. And if it was if it was me. And I was running this investigation. You should have a specific place where people can go online to point them to where all of these specific documents are as you release them. W- WikiLeaks. Yes. You they put could, them they on totally. All right, let's move on. So do you guys remember the Mueller investigation? You know, I mean, it was... No, what's no? that? Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> most of the country has moved on. Attorney General William Barr has not. It was reported this last week that he's been holding private meetings overseas with foreign intelligence officials in Australia, Italy, I mean, a handful of other countries seeking their help 
in a Justice Department inquiry into Mueller's work. Trump has requested the investigation in the hopes that it will discredit U.S. intelligence agencies' examination of possible connections between Russia and members of the Trump campaign during the 2016 election. Barr has previously told lawyers that he believes spying did occur when it came to the U.S. investigation of the Trump campaign. The attorney general's active role underscores underscores the degree to which the Mueller investigation continues to consume the time and resources of the Trump administration. Some current and former intelligence and law enforcement officials expressed frustration and alarm Monday that the head of the Justice Department was taking such a direct role in re-examining what they view as conspiracy theories and baseless allegations. Phil, what's your reaction to this new wrinkle to Bill Barr's tenure? It's a really kind of interesting development. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is a, actually a good example of, of going back to what we were just talking about. Um, I think this is a controversy. I, absent of the, the Ukraine stuff, this should be a news story. It should be a controversy. But it's not as simple or easy to digest or straightforward as the Ukraine thing. And so this is an example where if, if Democrats go down this road, I don't think they necessarily strengthen their their case. So, I, I, I mean, there's a couple of points about this. The, the, the positive of this or the, the positive way of seeing this is that Bill Barr is the, the top law enforcement officer in the United States. He's, he's trying to figure out if there was something fishy um, in, the, in the beginning stages of the Mueller investigation. I, and we could get bogged down in Joseph Mifsud and who he is. And, and I mean, this all goes back to Papadopoulos and, 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 yeah. and you know, where his information came from. But, uh, you know, if, if there was something fishy, then we should look into it. Having said that, this is like the is it cloud strike? Is that or crowd? What's the the thing? Crowd strike. Crowd strike. Crowd yeah. strike. So this is sort of like that. This is a conspiracy theory that has been out on the you know the internet for a long time about that uh, various people have tried to sort of entrap Papadopoulos and get him to you know take information from the Russians, and it was all a setup for Trump. Um. So the fact that we're chasing down conspiracy theories is is problematic. To me, the bigger the bigger issue here, the bigger issue involved with with Bill Barr going out and trying to figure out what the origins of the Mueller investigation are, the the they're they're abstract. But it is the fact that the Attorney General shouldn't be doing the bidding of the President of the mm-hmm. United States, right? The Attorney General should be the top law enforcement officer deciding what is worth investigating or what is not worth investigating, and the influence of the President should the, there. Should the president shouldn't have influence over that. I, you know, you can think back to when Bill Clinton talked to um, my mind's just gone blank. What was what was her name on the the tarmac? Uh, it was like oh, a me- huge controversy. Lynch? Yes, Loretta no, Lynch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was investigating? Who was involved in the Hillary Clinton investigation? And people's minds, you know, heads exploded because the president of uh, the, the the president the the husband of Hillary Clinton talked to the attorney general. So uh, the attorney general shouldn't be doing the bidding of Donald Trump. That should be that is part of the controversy. I mean, that is, I think, ultimately the controversy that the, the that's not what the attorney general should be doing. And also, if of all the things the attorney general could be doing, should he be flying around the world to talk to people about this? Or are there other more important things? There almost certainly are. So, I, you know, I, again, I think there's a controversy here. I think there's there's you know, this should not be happening. People should be upset about it. But it doesn't feel like it's the same thing as the Ukraine thing. And I think focusing on it too much is, is again, a distraction. Yeah. Nick, have you strong feelings about this one? No, I don't care. No. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I agree. Like, it's I, why, why, why the fuck are you there? Just uh, uh, <laughs> Bill Barr. Um, Bill Barr, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I, I, I agree that he, that the attorney general uh, should not be working at the behest of the president. And in that situation, don't make him an executive appointee. Uh, I think we need a different system, uh, given what we've seen. This is another instance of there are fundamental things uh, that have kind of been uh, taken for granted, uh, norms that we have just mm-hmm. kind of let go and assume that people are going to follow uh, that needs to be fundamentally or that need to be fundamentally altered. Like the FBI, where it's a, it's a longer tenure. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, this seems to be the perfect example of that um i in in terms of the substance of of what he's looking into um yeah it's probably bullshit but i I, like at this point i don't know between uh, between the crowd strike thing and and the the letter that the democrats sent to ukraine prior to the the transcript thing and that whole mess and it's hard to tell what's a conspiracy theory and what's not at this point um but yeah, it's probably bullshit. I really don't have a strong opinion you, on this one. Either. I mean, I think the way to do to do it where it would have some legitimacy is isn't there? I think there's already an inspector general looking into this, right? Yeah. Let, let those career officials do this work and mm. come back, and they would have credibility. When you have the attorney general do this, flying all over the place, it feels like this tin pot dictatorship stuff. That's what happens. Is like close allies are the ones that are doing the investigation. Bill Barr should not be traveling all over the place. He should be, you know, just for the appearance of impropriety so it just it just stinks it stinks nick well i mean maybe if he's out of the country and something goes down he can just ask for asylum wherever (laughs) he is he is uh, (laughs) on my list of people who are likely to go to jail rudy giuliani might be at the top but bill barr is a close second (laughs) (laughs) in in all the stuff that's been thrown out there john mitchell right nixon's attorney general did go to prison for 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 his involvement in, in in the watergate scandal Mm-hmm. And it, it, he strikes me, you know, we had a conversation when he was first approved that he's, and I even said this, I, he feels like somebody who is a smart person who's done this before, who's going to be good at this. And he has been so different than I think most of us anticipated. It doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't really get yeah. why he would be willing to sort of sell his soul for this. For mm-hmm. Trump, right? I mean, yeah. there's one thing to sell your soul to for the idea of executive power. Right. But that's one thing to defend the power of the executive branch, but to be flying around and meeting with people chasing down conspiracy theories feels a little too Rudy Giuliani for me. And it's an interesting (laughs) comparison because we've, we've talked about in the past with Mattis and others, uh, other people who we talked about as adults in the room that were given orders or told to do things and they just said on them, they just didn't do anything. Right. You just, yep. I hear you, Mr. President, but then, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to, that is not going to be a priority. That's the obvious thing to do here. Right. When you're, when you're, if you don't want to cause a stink, if you're Bill Barr and you want to serve the president and all of that, but the president comes to you and asks you to do this, you just, yeah, you say, okay. And then you go about your life and you do what you're supposed to be doing as attorney general. But he hasn't done that, right? It seems, it appears that he has jumped whenever the president has told him to jump. Hmm. All right. Supposedly. All right. Let's end the, uh, well, (laughs) I don't know if this is a fun one, but it's an interesting one. It's a fun one. So gentlemen, we tackle a lot of hard topics on the show, one of which is race. It's a complicated issue with deep historical roots that can confound even the most well-meaning of politicians. But there are also times when our politicians are just plain stupid, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Uh, (laughs) Specifically, we're going to highlight the absolutely terrible couple weeks that Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau have had on the issue of race. Starting with Trudeau, our loving Canadian neighbors to the north have been struggling to come to terms with the fact that multiple images have surfaced showing Trudeau in black and brown face makeup. 
It has forced Canadians and those on the left to ask themselves how, how someone who has led the charge on so many issues of race and immigration could have done this multiple times. Not to be outdone on the issue of racial insensitivity, the New York Times recently reported on ideas that Donald Trump shared with his cabinet to stop migrants from crossing the U.S. southern border. And I think it's best if I quote directly from the story. Quote, privately, the president has often talked about fortifying a border wall with a water fill trenched trench stocked with snakes and alligators, prompting aides to seek a cost estimate. He won the wall electrified with spikes on top that could pierce human flesh. After publicly suggesting that soldiers shoot migrants if they threw rocks, the president backed off when his uh, staff told him that it was illegal. But later in a meeting, aides recalled he suggested that they shoot migrants in the legs to slow them down. That's not allowed either, they told him. Jeez. Jeez. Phil, what is going on? How can these two leaders be so bad at this? Trudeau thinks his black brown face is okay. And Trump is talking about trenches filled with snakes and alligators and shooting migrants in the legs to slow them down. We we could do better, can't we? Yeah, so I'm going to yeah. answer real quick. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's an important distinction, which is that uh, I don't Trump Trudeau did not come out and say that it was OK. Right. So Trudeau came out and said this was yeah. bad. I shouldn't have done this. Um, he still did it right three times, not, not all that long ago, actually. Um, so but Trump is like this is Trump is actively doing this. So uh, there's a whole conversation to be had about both of these things. And I don't even know how to talk about it. The Trudeau stuff, I mean, the, the brown face, black face stuff, I, you know, it's it, it gets at this debate that I think we've had or this discussion that we have to have or have been having as a society about like past actions and how much, you know, how much room do you allow for change? So if you did something stupid 20 years ago, um, do you still, you know, do you still suffer the consequences for that today? And that, that kind of gets at this. And I, I don't know. I've thought about that some. And I think uh, I. In my mind, in some ways, there's a difference between ideas and actions. So if you had, you know, terrible ideas 20 years ago and you've changed, then there's there's more room for sort of, you know, uh, forgiveness of that. But if you did terrible things 20 years ago, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be forgiven for it, but it seems like there's there's less. I, I'm less willing to do that. Blackface seems like somewhere in the middle of those. It's, it's more than mm-hmm. an idea. It is an action, but it's not, you know, he didn't. It's not that he physically attacked someone or whatever. Um, so I don't, I don't really know what to make of, uh, what to make of that with Trudeau. It, it's, it's, it's stupid, right? Um, the, the Trump stuff, I mean, I, there's again, a whole nother idea. There's all sorts of stuff there about alligators and they do in fact leave moats. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but the, the, the Not big story, ones. I know the story, this is an example of media coverage and our, our problem with social media and the way we think about news stories, because, the the haha of this and what everyone has focused on is the moat full of alligator and snakes. Um, what we haven't focused on is that in the story, there's multiple times it's reported that he basically told government employees to break the law. Um, you know, he's he's telling people to shoot immigrants in the legs. That so that that should be the story, right? The fact that he's sort of frustrated with the laws and is telling employees not government officials not to obey the law. But we'll focus on the funny, and it is funny the idea of an alligator filled trench I, that's a lot to talk about you, tell me yeah go <laughs> go from there i'm done 
Nick, any any deep reflections on this one? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't think this is bad for Trudeau at all because he's going to uh, skate like any progressive would in this situation, um, which I think is just uh, and I believe this to my core is just the hypocritical mm-hmm. nature of, of these instances. Um, as much as he said that he you know, he made a mistake. His first instinct was to not tell anyone about it or Mm -hmm. say that he didn't remember it and then go back and say, well, I didn't tell anyone because it would, I thought it was embarrassing and I didn't want to bring it up. So I'm not sure which of the two are true, but your original statement was not true. Um, Realistically, in my opinion, to your point, uh, to an extent, Phil, I don't think this was done in malice when he was younger. I, I think it was, an innocent thing that people didn't necessarily think about at the time. And he wasn't trying to be racial in any way or, or racially insensitive in any way. Um, and it, that's just what it is. If you had just been honest about that, like I, I would have no problem with this, but it's this righteous indignation that I have a severe problem with. Um, again, and I, I wish I would have kept bringing this up after it happened Nothing seemed to have happened in Virginia after that mess. Nobody talks about it anymore. Um, And there seems to be a significant disconnect between who does and who doesn't get crucified when these things happen. Um, In terms of Trump, uh, Bill and I were talking before we started recording. Um, The way that I read that, it's so it's so outlandish. The only way that I could imagine that this is. A, a statement, a factual statement was that it was completely done in jest and they just didn't get the 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 the, the character of the indivi- of, of the statement itself. Is it problematic? Yes, he shouldn't be saying that. Right. But I can he's he's that guy that yeah. makes these statements. So he doesn't necessarily he doesn't mean what he's saying. But yeah, is it is it off color? Is it? troubling in the sense that nobody should be making statements like that, especially the president. Yes. So, I would imagine it was done in jest. Well, I, you don't I think he, stupid, you don't, right? I mean, it's also stupid. <laughs> yes. You don't think he meant it to, to, so what part are you talking about? The alligators or the shoot them in the legs? part? <laughs> I think, I don't think you can separate the two. I think the, 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 the combination of the two is so ridiculous that having one or the other, you can't have one being completely serious and one being completely, uh, fictitious. Yeah. Like, I, it just, I think it he seems meant both. So crazy. <laughs> He did. I was telling Nick, he, he did come out today and he said, it's a total lie. He says, I'm tough on immigration, but I even I wouldn't say that. I'm, I don't buy that. I think the fact that he he denies it usually means he absolutely said it. I don't know the context in which he said it. Um, it's it's just I don't know. I think it, it's deeply revealing of, of sort of the the childish nature that he confronts these problems. The, but the Justin Trudeau thing, I think, is really interesting. And you guys both made some really good points. And, you know, I'll, I'll let those sit. But I, it also the, the other thing about Trudeau is that it wasn't that long ago that Trudeau did that and he thought this was okay. And it does speak if there's, if there's one good side of this story, it's how far we've come as a society now realizing that that's inappropriate, right? I mean, at the time it wasn't appropriate or I'm sorry, we didn't appreciate the degree to which it was offensive. And now it absolutely is. And and I think you're right, Nick, that we should hold politicians accountable. We should hold him accountable for it. Uh, It doesn't mean you're, you're kicked out of office, but there should, that should be a, a, a somewhat permanent stain that you were insensitive to this and and you need to try harder to make up for it. So Mm. Um, yeah, I think the, the surprising one what is Trudeau, the alligators. The alligators yeah. <laughs> uh, the, I'm not surprised about Trump at all. I mean, that, that, that is classic Trump, right? There was, you know, I, shooting people, alligators, all of that. 
I saw some really interesting statistics polling data this week on uh, white liberals, white you know progressives' views on race, um, and the the change, the 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 shift has been remarkable in the last, and it's been like in the last seven years. Like the number of you know, if you poll people about like whether or not you think that essentially the system is in some way biased against African Americans, or whether like bad outcomes are the fault of African Americans, that there's been a massive swing amongst uh, you know white liberals in the last really kind of five or six years. So you were talking about you know 10, 15, 20 years ago, this wasn't necessarily viewed as as uh, such a problematic thing. It's really remarkable how quickly that, I mean, and if you look at the presidential candidates, right, the, the, the Democratic candidates are fully on board with sort of racial justice issues. And that's a fairly new thing because that was not a selling point for white liberals until uh, very recently. Yeah. No, that's, that's a big shift. Yeah. But it's a selling point until it's one of their own that is in the crosshairs, I would say. I, like, I, it's, it's, I, I agree. There has been a fundamental shift in that over the past I, I think seven years is probably a good time frame, but it seems to kind of take a back burner when it is your candidate, your particular person who could have detrimental effects on your political motivations or or something to that effect. And the Virginia case is such an interesting one because I will say I'm trying to remember back there, but I remember like him being called out by Democrats for this. The problem was the lieutenant governor was also facing charges Correct. and neither of them wanted to leave. Right. So some of it is like if they're going to hunker down. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you have to be consistent across partisan lines if you're going to have integrity on this. Mm hmm. Boy, we had a lot today, Nick. That's a lot of shit. Yes. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's a long episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well. Um, Luckily, nothing's going to happen this week. Nothing new is going to develop. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, we'll be able to talk about it with uh, senior legal analyst uh, Tom Cavanaugh next week. So, stay tuned for that. Um, In the meantime, if you guys uh, want to see what we're up to, uh, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool uh, Paul P O L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try you can find on untapped on ios or android just look for barstool politics and the podcast uh, uh, apple podcast uh, spotify soundcloud stitcher google play music most major podcasting platforms um, we always appreciate the support so review us and share us like us whatever through those things tell a friend tell a friend and then they'll tell two friends and then they'll then <laughs> sell and anyways um anything else guys no we're good all right we will see you next week Cheers. Cheers.